Hello, everyone. This is the Connected Family Podcast, episode number 24. This podcast is produced by Connections Family Counseling, LLC, a group counseling practice located in Quincy, Illinois, that helps build resilient kids, strong marriages, and connected families. My name is Mark Vanderlei, and I'm your host. Today's episode is all about fatherhood and attachment. Hello and welcome back to the Connected Family Podcast. My name is Mark Vanderlei. I'm your host. We are going to have a slightly different structure for the show today. In the past few months, I've really focused on interviewing different experts, people who've written books to help you all get an idea of the information that they're bringing to the world, the expertise that they're wanting to share with you and giving you an opportunity to learn from them. Well, today I'm going to be sharing and just kind of me talking about one of my favorite topics, and that is fatherhood. But I'm going to be taking a little bit of a unique perspective on fatherhood. I've actually done several other podcasts uh, specifically relating to fatherhood and different um, unique perspectives on it. But this one is going to be thinking about the father-child attachment relationship as compared to the mother-child attachment relationship. And the reason I wanted to talk about this is, one, because I'm really passionate about fatherhood. I've actually done some research on fatherhood myself for my dissertation, and I've been reading some new information that I had never encountered before, even in my work as a counselor, and and having read a lot of uh, research and information about attachment theory and fatherhood and parenting. uh, These new articles that I'm finding are not new to the research world, but are new to me, And this information and this new way of looking at fatherhood has been really helpful and exciting in that it validates much of my experience, and I think it validates much of the experience of other fathers who I have worked with. So to begin, I'm just going to talk a little bit about the historical and religious motifs of fatherhood, and that's kind of part of the other podcasts that you may have already listened to in my series about fatherhood. So Historically, fatherhood has gone through a number of different sort of phases as people think about what being a father is and what it means to be considered a engaged or good father. And so around the turn of the century in the 1800s, it was what it meant to be a good father was a moral teacher or guide. This was a man who was really guiding their children through life and teaching them the right way to live, the right morals. Often this was associated with Christian values and uh, teaching your children the Bible, and it was also often associated with very strict discipline. Now, over the course of the years, this changed, and a lot of this had to do with the economic and cultural changes present in the United States, at least when we're thinking about North American fatherhood. And one of the really big shifts that occurred late 1800s into the early 1900s was Uh, moving from an agricultural society more into a production society. And so fathers moved from working in their farms, being home all day long, interacting with children, interacting with the family, really working to subsist on the land uh, as a family together. And fathers moved to working more in factories. And so the father would go out someplace and would work and then would come home in the evening sort of be the breadwinner. And so that was the motif that sort of began in those early 1900s, where the father became the distant breadwinner. 
this person who was home in the evenings but would go off to earn the wages, bring them back, and really not be much connected and involved in childcare, relationship development, and those types of things in the home. Now, in the, oh, I don't know, 1970s, maybe even 80s and 90s, there was this idea that is often portrayed in media as the father as a buffoon. I'm thinking of uh, Married with Children, Homer Simpson, and many other portrayals of fathers in which basically a father is an incompetent parent and really isn't good for anything but other than bringing home the paycheck and often undermines the authority of the parenting dyad and not working together with the uh, parenting partner in order to make sure that things are going well in the home and children are raised in an appropriate way. Now, more recently, there's a lot of research that's coming out and talking about fathers as a new nurturant father. Fathers are more and more involved in the caregiving of children than ever before, spending more time with their children in caregiving roles and uh, in like relationship development roles. And there are more and more stay-at-home fathers than ever before. In 2016, there are over 200,000 fathers in the United States who describe themselves as a stay-at-home father, and the mother or the partner was working outside of the home. And so this is a drastic shift in the way that we see fathers. We're beginning to see fathers much more in a nurturant role, where they're offering much more care for their children in the way that we think of mothers often offering care. And they're much more involved in the lives, in relational lives, emotional lives of their children uh, based on these new, these new um, occurrences in, in our culture. Now, an interesting sort of juxtaposition here, however, is that although fathers are becoming more and more involved in the lives of their children through care and through nurturing, there are also more and more fathers who are living separately from their children due to incarceration, divorce, uh, and many other factors, up to 25% of children in the United States live apart from their father. So there's like these two halves, sort of, or these two juxtapositions in which fathers are becoming more and more involved with their children, but more and more fathers are living separately from their children as well. And so I'm really interested in how do we help fathers to, whether they live with their children or live separately from them, to make the most out of what it means to be a dad and to have the most influence as possible in the lives of their children. Because the research shows over and over again that children who have an active and engaged father um, have much better outcomes in many, many areas of life, in uh, the areas of school, emotional regulation, uh, social relationships, work outcomes, all those areas of life, father, children that have fathers in their life have significantly better outcomes than children who do not. And so I think it's really, really important to support fathers and no matter how they uh, live or what the living arrangement is, to help them be able to interact with their children in a way that is incredibly influential and most impactful in the life of that child. Now, there are also a number of different religious motifs um, that I find very, very interesting because of my uh, faith background and my um, really striving to um, understand how I as a father influence the faith development of my own children and wanting to pass my own Christianity and Christian faith and biblical worldview 
onto my children. And there's a book that I read not long ago, and I actually did an author interview with the author of this book called Being Dad, Father as a Picture of God's Grace. And it was written by Dr. Scott Keith, and he really describes the father motif uh, that comes out in the Bible. And he's, he describes fathers as a picture of God's grace, and he uses the story of the two sons, two lost sons, or as it's often titled in the Bible, the prodigal son. And he talks about and really focuses on the father in that story and focuses on the different ways in which the lost sons are relating to the father. There's the one son who um, is obedient and tries to do everything that the father says and feels that the father owes him something because of that obedience. And then there's the son who basically disowns or wishes the father dead, runs away, wastes all of the inheritance, and then comes crawling back looking for grace. And the father, interestingly, offers grace to both of those sons. Both sons were lost, even though often uh, we think about the prodigal son as the lost son and the other son as the obedient one, and we want to relate to the obedient son. But in reality, both of them were lost. One was lost in his rebellion. The other was lost in his self-righteousness, trying to earn his own salvation. And the wonderful thing about God and Father, God as a picture of God's grace, or Father as a picture of God's grace, is that the Father in this story longs and waits for the Son to return, both sons to return, and when they do, He offers them uh, reconnection to the family. The, the Son who runs away and wastes His inheritance is welcomed with wide open arms back into the Father's family, which is an incredible picture of how God welcomes us back into his family, even when we're still sinners and when uh, we're desperate for his rescue. Now, so those are some historical and religious motifs that are really, really helpful, I think, in considering what it means to be a dad and how culturally we think about being fathers. And then we have some opportunity to think about fatherhood in the context of attachment theory. Now, the mother-child attachment relationship is often thought about as uh, the secure base or comfort. And we think about moms mending the boo-boos and nursing and swaddling and changing diaper, diapers and caring and rocking and being the gentle, secure base that we all need when we are children, the warmth and caring that comes from a mother. And those are wonderful things. And actually, fathers often play that role quite regularly as well. I know I have, and that was a part of who I am as a father. But there's a lot of research that is also going into something slightly different, which is the father-child activation relationship. And it's a different way in which fathers relate to children than mothers. So there's the mother-child attachment relationship, which is characterized by comfort and secure base, and the father-child activation activation relationship, which is characterized by exploration, excitement, and this encouragement to openness to the world. And so we just really see here that these are two complementary, complementary, different styles of building relationship with our children. A mother often is comforting and secure, offers security, whereas a father offers exploration and excitement and activation of the child. Neither of these is necessarily better than the other. 
they're complementary. And actually, maybe it's the case that a child needs both types of these parenting in order to be most successful. Now, I also want to say that just because we're talking about the father activation relationship and the mother-child attachment relationship, again, doesn't mean that, you know, a mother never activates the child. Often, I imagine, mothers are very active and they activate a child's sense of wonder and excitement and exploration of the world. But if we're speaking sort of in generalities, what the research actually does show, I'm not just making this up, there's research that shows that um, fathers tend to be more active and play in a more assertive and active way with their children than mothers do. And so that research is really exploring how that way of being a father, that activation way of being a father, impacts a child. So some of the examples that I think of with this father-child activation relationship are the ways that fathers tend to encourage exploration. And I think of going to the park with my young boys, and you know how often parks have kind of like small little rock climbing walls or these ladders with just bars that children who are toddlers really love to climb, but it's really kind of scary for parents. It's like, oh my goodness, can he climb this? So I remember being a, a rock sort of wall at a park that we would take our kids to, and standing there underneath the rock wall, kind of spotting my children, where they would be climbing up, going up as high as they could, and they're like, you know, reaching and reaching and straining their muscles, and I'm letting them do it, but I'm also standing there to keep them safe, have my hands up close, spotting them in case they fall. And so I'm encouraging them, yeah, you can do it, just put your hand up there, encouraging them to explore those things, but also keeping them safe. There's another example that I like to tell a story of is, Uh, We had a rule when our boys were younger in our house that you were not allowed to help people climb trees. You can climb trees, but we just don't help people. And I got this idea from a book that I read um, that was about uh, understanding the inner world of our children. And it was a school that had this same practice where the kids were allowed to climb trees, but we weren't allowed to help people. And the theory said that if you're able to climb the tree without help, then you are capable enough, confident enough, strong enough to be able to get yourself out of the tree without getting hurt. If you need help to climb the tree, then you probably really shouldn't be in the tree anyway. And so we had this rule in our house, and there were so many times when the neighborhood kids would be uh, over at this over at our house where we had this wonderful climbing tree. It was low enough to get into and had these long sort of paral- branches that ran parallel to the ground. And our kids would say, because they heard it, heard us say it so many times, uh, when other kids would ask them to help climb trees, they would say, oh, we don't help climb trees at our house. And the kids would look at them like, what? What is, what's wrong with you? Why won't you help me? Well, I, I was encouraging my children to climb trees. They could do it if they wanted, but I wouldn't help them. They had to figure out how to do it on their own. They had to explore, solve problems, get strong enough, build their muscles so that when they climbed the tree, they were able to do it on their own. Another thing we often did in our family was racing. We would use signals to encourage them, and we'd say, okay, on the signal, you run to me. And I would give them a silly signal, and then at the signal, they would run to me as fast as they could. And we would celebrate and clap hands and give high fives when they would come running to us. So these are just the some examples of different ways in which fathers tend to engage with their children. I have friends who've told me stories of different wrestling games that they played with their fathers when they're young. We, in my family, have a wrestling game called Scissor Trap that we play 
together sometimes um, in which, you know, I'm trying to hold the kids and they're all trying to break free and they're fighting against me. These fun and engaging, more physical types of play that sometimes father part- fathers participate in, in which the research calls the father-child activation relationship. Um, now, the research is showing that this the role of this physical play is very important, and it's the part of the role that's very important is offering challenge in the context of safety. So I gave an example of climbing up the tiny little rock wall in the park, but then also being there to spot the children when it was necessary. So there's challenge being offered, but also safety, and I, and that's physical safety, but also challenge being offered in the context of emotional safety. So there's exploration, encouraging the children to explore in a park, uh, in a protected forest, in the in the family's backyard, but also being attuned and present and available emotionally and physically if the child is needing that. And so the very important thing to think about in this father-child activation relationship is to think about the importance of offering challenge in the context of safety. And then also rough and tumble play. As I was describing the different ways that in my family and the families of some of my friends have talked to me about wrestling. This rough and tumble play should always be mutually enjoyable. So the one characteristic of beneficial rough and tumble play is that mutual enjoyment. When it's not fun for both parties, then it is no longer adaptive. And so I'm particularly thinking of the importance of a father needing to sort of control himself, limit himself, so that it becomes fun for the children. And if because if the father wins every time, or if a father pins the child on the ground in a way that's uncomfortable, then it's no longer fun, and the child's going to stop, and it's actually no longer adaptive. So some of the things and other benefits of rough and tumble play are competition skills, meaning how can a child learn to handle conflict in a socially acceptable way without too much aggression or without avoidance? Rough and tumble play is one of those ways that they can learn to be physical and strong and assertive, but also learn when it's time to slow down and to be done and to let the other person win in order that it's, again, enjoyable for everyone. And then one of my favorite things or favorite benefits of this rough and tumble play and the father-child activation relationship is the message that children receive in the experience of this rough and tumble play with their father. And one of the messages that I read in some of the research that is so important, I believe, is the message of, I love you, I'm stronger than you. So when we're participating in rough and tumble play in, a, in the safety of challenge or in the context of challenge and safety, the message that our children receive from us is, I love you, I'm stronger than you. Those are two wonderful messages. I love you, but I'm also going to keep you safe. I also have the ability to control the situation around you in order to keep you safe, to protect you, and also to provide some structure that might be necessary in life uh, for you in order to, you know, accomplish the things that we need to accomplish as a family. So those are just some of my thoughts on this idea of fatherhood and attachment. Uh, Love discussing this sort of stuff. So if you'd like to continue the conversation, please feel free to join our Facebook group. Um, Also, feel free to message us, message me uh, through Facebook or 
uh, make a comment on the discussion thread here at the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Hope to talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to the Connected Family Podcast. We're dedicated to helping you build resilient kids, strong marriages, and connected families. If you'd like to continue the conversation about fatherhood and attachment, please join our Facebook group at facebook.com backslash groups backslash the Connected Family Podcast. This group consists of additional resources, discussion regarding episode topics, and support for building a connected family. You can also follow us on Instagram at Connections Family Counseling or our website at connectionsquincy.com.